Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Hope you're all well, as always, and if you are still staying at home quarantining, hope you're doing that successfully, getting things delivered, going on walks, but generally staying safe and healthy. It's on that note of getting things delivered that I have my conversation today, and in a space where you may not have intuitively thought you could get things delivered. First off, if you're new, welcome to this show. It's a podcast all about how some of the most interesting or innovative or otherwise exciting brands of today are becoming more authentic specifically through mobilizing their masses, in many cases, their consumers. And today, I'm on with the, I believe, first and largest alcohol delivery service out there called Drizzly. Specifically, I'm on with their chief marketing officer, Scott Braun. Now, I knew Drizzly from its very founding in 2012. I was a college student in Boston, and though I was just a little below the age required to enjoy a service like Drizzly, I certainly kept my eye on it. It's growing like gangbusters in the current circumstances, and Scott talks a little bit about that. But generally, we speak about what it means to be part of an industry which is so hyper-local by law and by other circumstances, and how that makes for differentiated conversations with consumers. And we also talk, of course, about some of the ways in which Drizzly is directly getting involved in those conversations. And towards the end, as you know, we go over advice on how to build a better, more authentic brand. So I was really glad to have Scott on the show. It's a brand that I knew from its inception, and it was great to finally get in touch with an exec from that company to learn more about its innards. So I hope you enjoy as well. Maybe sit back, relax. If it's the appropriate time, pour yourself a beverage and enjoy our conversation with, from Drizzly, Scott Braun. All right, everybody. I'm here with Scott Braun from Drizzly. Scott, thanks so much for joining the show. How you doing? Oh, great. Pleasure to be here. I am glad to talk to you. Especially because, I, I, obviously, you're with Drizzly, and I knew of Drizzly when it was founded back in 2012. And the reason is because right at the time that it was founded, I had just turned 20. So I guess I couldn't like be a customer until 2013. Right. But it was people just down the street because I went to school in Boston as well. And everybody that I knew who was like a year or two above me thought this was like this, just the craziest thing. And uh, for folks who don't know what Drizzly is, I'm going to have you describe it in a second, but they'll understand why shortly. So it's great to be able to call back to one of the first startups that I really was uh, potentially passionate about uh, and talk to one you about some early, of the internet. Like Sorry? One year too early, it sounds like. Yeah, one, one year too early. And uh, although it became really, uh, it became useful. I'll say, I'll say that it became useful a year or two into its existence. But Let's talk first about what Drizzly is directly from you. Sure, happy to uh, happy to jump in. So, first of all, thanks for having me today. Um, Drizzly Drizzly is an online alcohol marketplace. It's the largest largest of its kind. Um, we're essentially a marketplace that connects consumers with local liquor stores. So today we have about twenty five hundred local liquor stores throughout the U.S. and a little bit of Canada on our platform. Um, we digitize their inventory. Their inventory is therefore for sale on Drizzly. Um, and then we have consumers come and consumers can shop across stores. So in many cases, consumers will see three, four, eight stores that they can view and all of the inventory in all of those stores all at once. Consumers can then make a transparent choice on what they want to buy from. So do they want to buy whoever can deliver fastest or who has the highest store rating? or even the cheapest price as well, the consumer can, the kind of the power is in that consumer's hands. Um, we don't um, add price at all to the, to, the, um, to the product. 
and then the consumer gets the product delivered in most cases um, under 60 minutes. Wow. So very convenient service, obviously. And uh, of course, anything marketplace is going to be especially helpful right now. And we'll talk about the current circumstances and what that has meant for Drizzly. But listeners, you can understand why uh, as a fresh-faced 20-year-old, though a little bit premature, this was very much of interest to me and perhaps right now for you being staying uh, at home and all this might be of interest as well. But Scott, before we get into the, the, the ins and outs of what the current circumstances and, and generally what what how business is going, um, let's talk about you for a moment because I got to know like what the heck Drizzly did to pull you in because I, I look at your history and it is pretty disparate. You got a lot of work within CPG. You were at Vistaprint for a while. Then you were with a car rental, a, a global car rental organization. And then Drizzly pulled you in. So, so what was it about? What was it about them that I guess there was maybe no allegiance to any individual category? But what about Drizzly and the fact that you know maybe it was new commerce, maybe it was Bev that interested you? What? How'd they get you? Yeah, that's a that's a fair question. Um, actually, it was it was not that hard. It's a really really great place to work. So yeah, I mean, you talked about my personal journey a little bit, and it's true. I did start in packaged goods. I spent years at at Gillette and Procter and Gamble, kind of the you know the the classic places to learn marketing. At least I went to Vistaprint for a little while for three years, and then was at a place called Auto Europe, that car rental broker, for close to three years as well. And when I started discussions with Drizzly, there was a lot that was really attractive to me. I mean, the very first thing was just that there was a there was a great opportunity to flex both sides of your brain, right? So we're we're very strong in performance marketing. And I really enjoy that part and think I can add some value there. And at the same time, there are places that do that, but that don't really care too much about the brand. And I think Drizzly always believed, even before I got here, that brand can be a real competitive moat for us. So I loved that this was going to flex both sides of my brain, that it was going to definitely be, you know, it was a, it was a place that was going to place great importance on the brand and clearly great importance on, on performance marketing as well. Um, so from a marketing role, that made it pretty attractive. Um, in addition to that, like the the category was really interesting. I'd never worked in anything like this, and and it's been just really fun. I mean, as much as I like some of the previous products I've worked in, like there's nothing like this type of this type of category, and you get to work with great brands, um, you know, the supplier brands as well. And the the third thing is that I think we were so uniquely actually. There's probably two more things. Third thing is that we were so uniquely set up to work with suppliers um, because of the legal um, the legalities within this category that we have really strong relationships with the Diageos and the, the Beams and a lot of the, you know, the ABIs of the world. This is very unique in the industry that we, that we have. Um, legally, I guess we are set up from a regulatory standpoint, we can have these strong relationships. Um, and then the very last thing is just that we were the biggest player in the category, right? Alcohol e-commerce is a rather small category in the scheme of the total alcohol world, um, but we're the largest player. And because of that, it opens up a lot of doors for us that actually have become very, very, very useful in the last 30 days. And we can talk about more of that later. But it opens up a lot of doors. Like there are conversations that Drizzly has for a company our size, which is still relatively small, that a lot of companies our size just don't get to have with the largest players in, in the industry, whether it's the largest retailers, the largest distributors, or the largest uh, suppliers in the industry as well. But that kind of like being a market leader, I've known just from my past, how important that can be to the um, to be able to be a launching pad for the growth of the business. Yeah, certainly being early is good, and being early and now the largest is great too. And 
you know, back, of course, when they founded the organization back in 2012, it didn't even exist. So to me, it was like the brand new thing on the block. And it's because it was, it was nothing like it, at least in the U.S., maybe, maybe in the world, who knows, at least from my perspective in, in the U.S., so let, let me talk a little bit about then uh, the intricacies of the business. I'll talk a little bit about COVID in a second because I'm sure that that is uh, changing a lot, perhaps helping, perhaps, perhaps helping, I would assume helping, but I'll get there in a minute. The intricacies of alcohol delivery, it reminds me of a conversation I had about six weeks ago with Cureleaf, which is in the cannabis space. Now, that's a much more restrictive industry. There are certain things you can and can't sell by state, and I know that with alcohol, it's similar. And I just want to know how that uh, gives you the opportunity to be perhaps differentiated in the way that you go to market and in the way that you have conversations with folks. Um, and let's start there. Yeah. So, so there's, there's some things, some of it is because of the regulatory environment, <clears throat> as you say, some of it isn't, some of it is just because of the uniqueness of our business and, and how we are how we are like uh, because of the because of the marketplace that we are. So let me let me go into both of those. They're kind of interesting. So on the regulation standpoint, this business is actually built on being like able to fit right into a highly regulated environment. We're very careful about what we do and what we don't do because we know. I mean, regulation is just so so critical to this, and we had to kind of fit in rather than try to break. I mean, we oftentimes don't call ourselves a disruptor. We work right within the three-tier system, and we do so very, very carefully. So one, one example that we do that, or one kind of challenge that we have with regulation is just, I mean, a simple thing of how we even promote, right? There are states where you can discount alcohol. There are states where you can't discount alcohol, but you can discount the delivery fee. And then there are other states where you can't do either of them. So in everything we do, we had to really version very particularly based on the the state that we're doing our marketing in. That type of regulation is just, I mean, that's just an example of it, but that's really critical. And we're always asking ourselves, can we do this? Can't we do this? And we have a really strong relationship internally and really a lot of trust with the, the general counsel and the legal department to, to keep us on the right side of the law. That's from a regulation standpoint. The other stuff that's really interesting about kind of the intricacy of the business is just not owning the supply. This is nothing I've really done before. You know, in the P&G days and such like that, we, of course, even Vistaprint, we, of course, we owned our supplies. We inventoried product and then we sold that product that was inventoried. And here we don't inventory. Here our supply is, of course, the retail stores and whatever is on the, on the shelves of the retail store is what that supply is. So there are some consumers that will shop across 10 stores and have this amazing supply. There are other consumers that will shop across only one store. And, of course, there's still even consumers in the country that can't shop Drizzly at all. And therefore, they can't even get the Drizzly experience at all. So when sometimes people say, do you have to do local marketing? Do you have to do you know, market by market? The truth is, we don't even think of, of local marketing as market by market. We do everything down to the zip level. Because even Boston, our oldest market, we've made some great progress in the last few months. But, but even a few months ago, when we looked at it, Boston, our oldest market and our launching market, you know, when we looked at that, there were, there were places that had terrific coverage, meaning terrific overlap of retail stores. And there are the places that you almost couldn't buy Drizzly, even in different pockets of, of Boston. So, you know, a one size fits all for all of Boston was just never going to work. So to make sure that we can deliver good ROI with our marketing, we really go down to the zip code level. And of course, media channels all offer you a different level of ability to be able to, to implement that, whether it's on Facebook or on Google. Sometimes it's because of regulation as well. But, but we really think of that as hyper local, like the in inconsistency of our product. Um, on a consumer by consumer basis, trying to get that really strong 
in all the areas that we're we're marketing. So we're very focused on this word hyperlocal and how we how we leverage that to be smarter and smarter and smarter and and where we market uh, and where we market also. Right. So hyperlocal, of course, important in any circumstance. These current circumstances that we are in, I'm sure, has provided even more hyperlocality. I think about the uh, different state-by-state restrictions that have happened even within uh, with, within food and bed, but especially within within alcohol. I think about my, my home state of Maryland where it was deemed an essential business, didn't really get impacted. I think about just to the north in Pennsylvania where all alcohol, uh, play, state-owned alcohol establishments were closed and there was a huge run on liquor stores and now they can't do anything. So the ways that COVID has impacted Drizzly from a business perspective, has it allowed you to get more hyperlocal? Has it changed your messaging at all? How has that impacted? Boy, it's had an enormous impact. <clears throat> and, you know, I'd have to say, obviously, these are these are really difficult times for a lot of people. Drizzly happens to be providing a service, and we've set up a bunch of the infrastructure to be able to really help people during a time like this and to help people be safe, which is which is really great. We're really we're really proud of the fact that we can do that and in partnership with our liquor stores, of course, can do that. But I can't really I can't really even tell you the amount of change that we've had in the last 30 days. So I wouldn't say that, well, I guess let me let me start here. So overnight, the business went up several hundred percent, right? From where from where it was just, you know, March 12th or March 13th was the day that we can pinpoint back. And all of a sudden we were on this very steep steep incline and it keeps happening. The business continues to to rise very dramatically. And like most businesses, you know, it wasn't necessarily set up to to accommodate a 500% increase overnight, overnight. right? Not and how many are, really? We were set up to grow. We were growing really nice and really healthy pace, you know, on March 11th. But on March 12th, the world the world changed for us. So, so with that type of demand, I mean, a lot of things happened. I mean, first of all, there was, of course, a strain on the operations, right? Just our customer service group really was <clears throat> was inundated by even not that customer service was worse, but just by the fact that, you know, all of a sudden they have 500 percent more demand on their services as well. So so we we shifted priorities in a really agile fashion internally. I mean, leveraging our product, too, to be able to help the customer service team to be able to, to um, get through things in a much more efficient, effective way so that they could scale you know dramatically faster than they might have otherwise done from a from a marketing standpoint. You know, the very first thing we did was to kind of just stop and pause and think about the brand for a moment. And we were really happy with with what we saw, to be honest, because so we had this whole list of six things that the brand is and six things the brand is not. Um, And we sat down and we said, all right, well, you know, this is kind of our tone and our personality. We've usually flexed and leaned into certain parts of it. So we might have leaned into irreverent and fun um, prior to the last 30 days. Um, and right now we said, but there are other parts of our brand personality that are around helpful and empathetic. And, you know, maybe it's time to lean in to those parts as well. So just like a person, the discussion we were having was just like a person, a brand has multiple, you know, multiple parts of one personality. I mean, the same person that, that you know, is at a dinner party and having a good time or at a cocktail party is not the same person that's having a serious conversation with somebody else. It is the same person, of course but they flex different parts of their personality. So the first thing we did, we did was we said, well, which parts of our personality do we want to flex and which parts do we want to try and pull back on a little bit? And that was, of course, that, that kind of was a foundational thing that was really critical for then all the communications we've done in, you know, in the coming months since, since this started. So we focused far more on being helpful, far more on being empathetic, 
far more on like helping the retailers. Again, this isn't just about the consumers. We have multiple customers, but far more on helping the retailers and, and helping the retailers and the customers. Because as we're a marketplace and we connect them, you know, we now can serve a role here to connect them and set expectations as well. So we talk to, you know, usually there's a there's a pretty standard approach where where a retailer delivers the product and then has to take somebody's ID and, and scan it. Or and, and, and what we did was we asked retailers to please don't touch that ID. It's just not safe to do that. Please like look at the ID, but stay a few feet away. Um, and so you can so you can you don't even have to scan it anymore, but just look at it and ver- verify the information and then move on. So we did that. We did some other things to allow contactless deliveries. Um, that were kind of innovative, given again, we're in a, this is we're not dropping off a cheeseburger. We're dropping off a substance that somebody has to be 21 to uh, to accept. So we tried to set expectations on the consumer side, what you can expect from the retailers. We tried to ask retailers um, to operate in a slightly different way, and and most above all, because the retailers were out on the front lines, we were begging for patience um, and gratitude, like extra tips for the retailers as well. But patience, and and when they can't get it there quite in the time frame you had thought or gratitude in the form of maybe a higher tip. So we thought about what the brand could be. We, we knew what we wanted this brand to be, and, and we flexed into those, those elements. And that's, that's where we spent most of the time in the last 30 days, is really working hard on every communication we've been sending out. And not only that, but of course, reviewing every communication we already had. So we pulled back on some marketing automation campaigns that just didn't seem appropriate for the time. We've changed some images and campaigns that, again, just didn't seem appropriate for the time. We were about to launch a uh, TV spot and we looked at the spot and we said, oh boy, this just doesn't feel right for right now either. And we went back and re-edited the spot really quite significantly um, to be able to make it appropriate for the time. And I just think this was this was a critical and foundational thing. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really happy with how the team is, has responded and has kind of like made the brand show up in this time frame. Right. And it's always good to be adapting on the fly, but especially in these circumstances to change uh, your entire tone is... Um, is a difficult challenge to mount, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you all did. With regard to that explosive growth, I'm sure it is obviously in part to the to the service and the quality of the service that you provide. But 500 percent is a hell of a lot, and I would imagine that a lot of this has to do with uh, people telling other people that this is how they're getting their booze. Really, I mean, I was on a Zoom call with my old college roommates uh, last weekend, and one of them who is still in Cambridge in school said that that's how he's been, that's how he's been getting his goods. He's been getting it through Drizzly. And that enticed me to like, see if I like where in my local area I could, or if I could take advantage of it, that groundswell surely is driving this growth. So I want to ask, how are you seeing that? Are you seeing that as well? And are there different ways that you're imagining how to take advantage of that groundswell now that it's probably at an all-time high? Yeah, it really, it really was a groundswell. Um, that's that's the exact word for it. On on two fronts, I think. The first front was that you know I had mentioned at the start of this that we were one of the maybe the largest player in alcohol e-commerce, and because of that, the media really looked to us as a bellwether for what's happening in alcohol e-commerce. So we started getting request after request after request. From the media, we you know we hurriedly put together a dashboard that we now make public to the media. That's showing our growth versus a baseline, not versus last year, but versus a baseline which we call just a couple months ago. So we have this dashboard that illustrates what is the day-to-day growth um, versus eight weeks ago. How is it doing by category? How is it doing by by um, by state? And then how is it doing overall? 
Um, and this was this was really helpful in, in us working with the media. So part of the groundswell was with the media and handling inbound requests there. So, you know, we're lucky enough to have been in the journal a couple of times and the times a couple of times, I don't know, in fortune magazine, um, at least the online edition, I don't know, eight, six to six to 10 times or so. So, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And the amount of earned media we got from this was just really outstanding. And it's, I think it's a credit to what Grizzly had built before because it was seen as the bellwether. So we got, we just got inundated with calls and we were able to respond to those. So that certainly spread the word. I mean, we've been on CNBC a couple of times as well. So that certainly has spread the word to a certain extent. That's from the media standpoint. But what you mentioned is like it's nothing short of just a sort of an interesting phenomenon that we've been watching as well is the consumer pass along on social media. You know, we're tracking everything that's happening on, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, of course. And, you know, just to use Twitter as an example, we see day after day after day, you know, dozens, hundreds of people just saying, wait, this is a thing. Alcohol delivery is the thing. And and have you heard of Drizzly? So like people are doing, you know, this person does it. They have 30,000 followers. They have 10,000 followers. And and the word is just spread like wildfire, um, both about Drizzly and frankly, about, about the fact that you can even get alcohol online and delivered. So, I mean, we know there was always an awareness problem, even of the category itself. You know, if I take Drizzly aside for a moment, we always knew that maybe 40, 50% of people didn't even know that it was legal to buy alcohol online. I don't know what the number is today. It's far less today. I mean, far more people know that this is a thing just because of that groundswell on social media. So both the category has seen an enormous uplift on it, um, and then Drizzly in particular. So it's been it's been um, you know really fascinating to see this groundswell. And then we've tried to jump into the conversation. So you know we try to do that with we have a guy that is constantly looking out on Twitter, for example and jumping into conversations where he can be helpful or he can sometimes um, lend a hand or even other times, um, you know, offer a really kind of a humorous and ironic remark or something like that in, in the middle of the conversation. So we've been there to help stoke it. But boy, so much of this has been due, due to the groundswell, like I can't even tell you. Yeah. And well, I'm glad that you're riding it. I'm glad that it's happening for you. Granted, the circumstances around it aren't as rosy, but yeah, it is uh, certainly something I'm glad that you're harnessing and taking advantage of a little bit, getting into that conversation here and there, the odd quip. Uh, that's always, uh, I think it's appreciated. Like on Twitter, I, you know, I like that from time to time. That's good. So I want to round out our conversation by asking for some advice. Now, this is a question that my listeners will know well. This is sort of the advice column on the back page, but... It comes from uh, this, that most of the listeners of this show are marketers themselves. It's a good deal to the CMO community too, but a lot of them, marketers either by themselves or at large brands, working their way up, listening into this show to hear about trends and how brands are, are getting real with consumers, but also learning about some of the ways in which these brilliant minds have made their way so that they can hopefully emulate their journeys. And with you, I get somebody who has a ton of experience across category and now diving into something completely new in terms of a medium of commerce, in terms of a new space entirely, one fraught with restrictions and hyperlocality. And I'm sure there are a number of new things that you've learned along the way that might help somebody else build a better, more authentic brand. So with that, I turn the question to you. What advice might you give those people who are simply looking to build a better brand, either in this time or generally speaking? Yeah, absolutely. So so I guess I'll mention a few things. Uh, probably the first is that, um, you know, and I talked earlier, 
about the fact that it's 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 both the numbers and it's the qualitative as well. So I'm a big fan of consumer insights. You know, it goes back to my my early marketing days. So as much as the data, like I want to be data led, and I'm I'm kind of a data hound as well. I'm always asking the next question. As much as that's important, I think it's it's insights on top of numbers. It's not just numbers. I think numbers can only get you so far. They can get you quite far, actually. But the truth is, I think it's the combination of insights with the numbers that can really take any business um, to to the next level. So, you know, for us, I think it just goes beyond performance marketing and also trying to string together kind of hypotheses of what we're hearing from consumers and then understanding what the implications are, like well beyond well beyond just just the numbers. So, so I think insights on top of numbers is is the first thing I always say. Second thing is this kind of integration with the product and marketing as well is really core for me. I mean, as a marketer, I'm always thinking about what that end consumer experience is, how we differentiate, how we really serve them better than anybody else can serve them. And I think you have to think about all of your touch points. You know, as you're building the experience, it's not just marketing and your marketing communication channels that do that. That's certainly part of it, but certainly not all of it. I mean, so I always think of, I always think very holistically about the consumer experience. And that like inevitably leads me back to the kind of the merging of marketing and product. There's blurred lines between where the, where one starts and where one ends, but that's okay. It just comes down to execution where you execute. But the truth is it's, it's the merging of those two and thinking holistically of the consumer experience that I think is always really important. Um, and then the third thing I think is, is just being like always trying to strive for an authentic brand. And I think that takes intentionality. I really do. I mean, maybe it sounds, Maybe it sounds odd to say you need to be very intentional about being authentic, but I think you do. So if I think about, you know, for us, at least we have our brand pyramid of what we stand for and reasons to buy. And one of the reasons to buy that is, you know, at the bottom of that pyramid is we get you, that we actually get the customer. And that really filters through a lot of our communications as we think about that. Like, how do we really understand the person? How do we not just do like your, I'm going to do air quotes, can't really see them, Adam, but typical marketing communications, but how do we do stuff where, you know, it's kind of insight led that has a great, and will have a great resonance with the customers. So we, we think of ourselves as being authentic by we get you. And then our communications go out and, you know, the great, the great feedback on communications is literally if we can think that a customer is going to read our email or see our push message or see our tweet, and they're going to be kind of nodding their head and sort of saying like, you guys really understand me, like conveying that understanding through the type of tone and personality you have. I think that's just critical to building building an authentic brand and critical to getting that brand love over time that we that we really strive for. A number of great pieces in there and uh, in three or four parts. So thank you for doing that um, on such a wide basis. And, and listeners, you know, take it from somebody who who took a bit of a chance himself coming into a you know, of course a, a business that had stood for for quite a few years, but in a brand new space, and now they're growing like gangbusters. Though the circumstances being what they are. Certainly a good ride, and I hope that you can emulate some of the things that Scott has learned along the way. But for all of this, it was great to learn a little bit from that company that I was too premature to, but now can enjoy greatly. And uh, what else can I say? Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you so much to Scott Braun from Drizzly for joining the show today. Certainly made me a little thirsty. Perhaps you, the listener, are as well. And maybe if so, and you need something delivered, take a look at what Drizzly has to offer. If you liked this show, here's what you can do. First, our LinkedIn page, Authentic Influence Podcast, is where all of our shows and clips and other news and tidbits about us go. 
We also have a website, podcast.vavoom.co. It's a sort of digest where all of our episodes live. And you can also connect with me personally on LinkedIn, Adam Connor. Connect, send me a message, tell me what you like, what you don't, and what suggestions you may have. Some of our best guests have come as suggestions from either prior guests or from happy listeners. So I'm glad to take in any recommendations that you have. And if you feel particularly inclined, do so via a public review on iTunes or Google, wherever you listen. I'll be back again in just a couple days with another fantastic story about a brand that's becoming more authentic itself by mobilizing its masses. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.